Hello, welcome to Mediation Station. This is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus dot ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610AM, and Greg Fenton. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Our topic tonight is called COVID-19, and it's Pandemic with Racism. And uh, my visitor is uh, Cheryl lewis Thurup, and Cheryl's here. You hear me now? Hello. Yes, I do. Hi. So how... how are you? We haven't seen each other for, I don't know, a while. I know, it, it has been a while. Um, I'm doing well. I am doing well, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe how long it's been since I was last on the show. Um, actually, the last time I was there, we had just wrapped up the campaign for city councillor, and mm-hmm. since then, I've been focusing on my coaching and consulting business. Right, so that's what you've been... Uh if I was to ask you, that's what you've been up to, or anything yes, else? It is. Yeah, it is. Yes, absolutely. Well, plus trying to keep safe. Yeah, like uh, all of us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not only about us or as individuals; it's also about how, when we interact and engage with others, that uh, depending on how we are, it will affect other people. Absolutely. And how have you been, Greg? Oh, same old, same older, you know, <laughs> going through the motions. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of hair on my face, more, more <laughs> than the the usual mustache thing. I've got some beard. I've left it to grow for the last week or so. So yes. I get a little bit lazy during this time. Mm-hmm. It's th- the COVID style. Yeah, it's, yeah, the COVID look. <laughs> I don't know if we want to keep that uh, as a... A legacy of the of our period of time now, but it is what well, it is. It is what it is, absolutely. So, give us a little bit more depth about uh, the perspective of your professional background and yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, I am a public speaker, um, business and leadership coach, or as I like to call it, empowerment coach, and a facilitator. And what I do is provide leadership and life skills coaching, life coaching as well, to individuals and groups, as well as soft skills training for corporations. So that includes customer service, public speaking for staff. A lot of staff are afraid to speak out in public, even among their peers, as well as things like networking etiquette. Mm. And in addition to that, as if, that doesn't keep me busy enough. <laughs> I'm part of a consortium of business professionals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how, how about you explain a bit more about, you mentioned earlier, running for city council. Mm-hmm. What was the reason for that? So, you know, I have always been really community-minded, and I have a long history of working in nonprofit with organizations such as United Way, Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation, and ADR Ontario, which is how we met. 
Right. And, you know, I've sat on several boards and committees, and I just thought that it was an opportune time to put those skills to work on a higher level for the benefit of the community. And what did you take away from that experience of, you know, preparing a team, organizing mm-hmm. yourself, trying to put together your policies that you, you know, if you were in you know, elected that you would put in place or, or try to get put in place? What did that all provide for you? Yeah, it was really interesting to get a little bit of insight into the inner workings, not just of running a campaign, but, but of City Hall and just being able to be out there and put forward issues as it relates to the the community. You know, again, it wasn't about me, but it was about representing the community. You know, what are the things that the community need and how can I, as their representative, how, help to move that forward? And when you were going out, I suppose you went door to door. At that time, everything was a, a different kind of norm. So <laughs> going out door to door, going attending events. Mm-hmm. How did you organize yourself to present, you know, yourself, though, on behalf of the collective good, which is mm-hmm. about the community that you were hoping to represent? Yeah, so, of course, I had a team that was um, helping. You know, volunteers are the backbone of any campaign similar to working in a nonprofit. So I had a volunteer team, a campaign manager, and we went out, you know, we did our door-to-door knocking, handed out flyers, speaking to people. And it was, you get such a different perspective from actually, you know, you walk down your street, you see people, you don't really know them. But from knocking on door-to-door, you really get to know people, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, who they are, and what they would like to see as a community. And at the same time, though, you're trying to communicate about you so that they recognize you and will identify particular when an issue comes up or they experience something they're going to say oh that person because when they get to the the booth when they need to uh check off the person they're gonna they need to connect with oh that Mm -hmm. person this person or that person how how do you how did that go for you um, you know, it went pretty well. Actually, you know, people really responded to me. You know, the, the issues that they had, they felt it was being put forward. You know, the media responded because the um, people really identified with what I was saying, how I intended to go about doing it. So it, it was a good experience. You know, as I said, it, it wasn't about me, but it was about the community. It was about me being that voice for those who did not have a voice. And what would you think or believe that a city councillor, if you could say one major skill or attribute, what would it be that uh, you were hoping that people would connect with about you? Um, there has to be an attitude of caring. You know, you have to show that first and foremost, you care about people and also about relationship building. A city councillor's job is about customer service. It is about service at the core of it, serving your community, you know. So, so yeah, it's about um, having those skills, relationship building, customer service, public relations, you know, all those soft skills that I previously mentioned. Do you see this as something that helped prepare you in some way? Are you 
looking in the future, possibly the next uh, municipal election to run again or try to run again? Um, you know, I'm not ruling it out, but for now I have not really thought about whether or not I will, but I'm not ruling it out completely. Okay. Just trying to keep the, <laughs> the fires warm for you in some way. I'm sorry? I'm try- trying to keep the fire warm in some way <laughs> so that in the eventual, that you do make that determination that you want to mm-hmm. follow through with that, that they, you know, it can be maybe next time a little more seamless, though, of course, it's still going to be, you know, the challenge of trying to get your your presence known and your word out there and people to connect with you as the individual so that they elect you rather than someone else. Yes. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And, you know, my name is already out there, so hopefully next time people recognize it and remember what I stood for previously and what I still stand for. So what does it mean to you, then, to be socially conscious and active? Because it's one thing just to talk. It's another thing Mm -hmm. to try to do. Yeah, so for me, being active uh, or being socially conscious means being active and engaged, an active and engaged member of society, not just within my small section of the community, but the wider community as a whole. It means being aware of what is happening around me as as well as on a global scale and being proactive in coming up with a solution or resolution to those issues. So in terms of the community, which is part of, uh, we're all part of a community, we're Mm -hmm. parts of different kinds of community. Mm-hmm. Even at the same time, what difference does it make for someone to be socially active? You know, you, you're here trying to share, and we're going to get more specific into the, tonight's topic, mm-hmm. trying to build upon that to provide some space for people to learn of and about you. At mm-hmm. the same time, what would it be for individuals in the community hearing a conversation like this? What would stimulate them to become socially active? Yeah. So, you know, Greg, we, we really can't overemphasize the benefits or the difference it would make by being socially active and giving back to our communities. So I would say that as community members, we need to be engaged in community building, community engagement and social activism if we really want to make a difference. What does active mean or activism mean? It's, it's a word we throw out there. Mm-hmm. and we hope people will connect with, let's open up the concept and deconstruct mm-hmm. it in some way. Yeah, you know, um, I always think back about that famous quote by Mahatma Gandhi, which says, you must be the change you wish to see in this world, mm-hmm. right? It all starts with each of us. We, we have to set an example by contributing towards positive and meaningful change in, in the world. It, it is all our responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, something? No, absolutely. I, I'm tall. I'm all about the concept of social change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so one of the things is that um, so there's a disproportionate amount of racism against Black, Indigenous, and other other minority groups, right? Mm-hmm. And this has led to a rise in social activism by communities with groups such as Black Lives Matter taking on a leadership role. You know, so we can all do something. We can all speak out in some way and be active in our communities. So if I was to say to you, what communities would benefit from having more voice 
and to be mm-hmm. more socially active. What what do you present? So I firmly believe that every community would benefit from having a voice and from being more socially active. But more so, I believe that the black and other marginalized community need to have a stronger voice. We hear a lot of talk about diversity, but when you look around the various boards and committees, the numbers do not reflect the diversity of our communities, and that needs to change. Yes, we're talking about communities that one would say, on the surface and deeper down, Mm -hmm. do not have the voice, and from the voice, the opportunity, the Mm -hmm. power, the ability to affect change or positive change, especially Mm -hmm. amongst the the group members. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I I would say that. I I would absolutely say that. You uh, presented about certain communities Mm -hmm. that were feeling and are uh, experiencing profoundly marginalization, isolation, the impacts of a certain mindset that's imposed on them by the broader Mm -hmm. society and the system. That's the construct that we all live within. Mm-hmm. So how, how, when we talk about that or say that, what would be the uh, general response or reaction from the broader community? You know, I think the, the broader community is really concerned about what is happening in society. You know, so so let's talk about, um, like, the situation that is happening right now. There is a lot of unrest that is taking place, you know? Mm-hmm. And you find that racism, the theme, if, if we can call it that, seemed to be popping up quite a bit. And there is a concern, a frustration that is happening, as far as the broader community is concerned. Isn't though the energy for what's happening uh, stimulated from the people who are directly experiencing it so that the broader community can become informed, aware, and actually help to contribute to some positive change with it? So I would say yes. You know, the, the, the energy is being stimulated by the people that are directly affected. But also, you know, we, we don't live in a bubble. So there is that outside influence and that outside energy that is also contributing towards it. Yes. Well, uh, from what I'm understanding, that, uh, of course, it's uh, not just coming out of nowhere and it's mm-hmm. being energized because of actions from an external source that's not necessarily representative of the community in which the individuals who are trying to exercise their voice. Um, Can you rephrase that? Well, the individuals who are experiencing the marginalization, the racism, Mm -hmm. and we need to unpack that word too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's they're coming at this, and I'm going to be clear, I'm not a member of the racialized community. Mm-hmm. And there is there are actions that are happening out in the broader community, society, mm-hmm. that are totally provoking, mm-hmm. stimulating. There's a long and deep historical context to things. So it's an event 
that though has a deeper connection to past events mm -hmm. and continuing events. Mm -hmm. In terms of the the communities, both sides, both perspectives, what does that mean? So, you know, like there is a lot happening. And, you know, when we talk about racism, for example, it's not something new. It's something that has been around since time immemorial. Well, what is, you know? for, for you, what, what does that word identify as? For me, the word itself is powerless. You know, it is the action of individuals due to racist intent, let's say, that is a cause for concern. You know, so, so the way that shows up for me is, you know, when I, when I look at all that is happening, it shows up in the form of hurt, frustration, anger, you know, that is invoked by seeing the various forms of injustice that is taking place on a global scale, let's say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Though it's not a new circumstance that's it, with regard to racism. No, exactly. It's, it's certainly not a new circumstance. It has been around forever. It is, however, heightened at this time. And, you know, I would suggest that one of the reasons for this is social media, as well as, you know, let's interject the, the COVID-19 pandemic right, into yes. this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So with, you know, COVID-19 has brought on many challenges for people. People have been inside for the past couple of months. They are glued to the television. They are glued to their computer screens. They are glued to their phones. So there is this heightened awareness of what is happening, right? People are looking for a cause. So while it has been something that is happening all along, you find more and more people have been made aware of it. And, you know, like all the writing, et cetera, that we see out there, it has happened before. It is not new. But people are frustrated, and I think it's an opportunity for people to really get outside and, and do something to relieve their frustration. So how have you been impacted by COVID-19? You know, COVID-19, for me, um, it, it brought on a few challenges, but I would say that it also brought with it opportunities. So explain about the challenges first. Yeah, so, so the challenge, for one thing, is that I've had to stay indoors <laughs> for the past couple months. And um, also, in, in terms of um, work, like prior to COVID-19, our team had been working on an event. And due to COVID-19, we had to cancel that event, right? So, mm -hmm. again, that resulted in loss of wages. You know, mm -hmm. so that in itself was a challenge as we had to decide, okay, what do we do? Do we cancel the event? Do we take it online? You know, how do we continue our work? And what did you decide to do? Or did you reformat the delivery of it? Because many people have formatted from an in-person because mm -hmm. that's no longer, you know, provided for, for a mm -hmm. remote or online type of format. Yeah, it, it has really been exciting to see how people were able to make that switch, 
you know, and how easily people can adapt in the times of crisis. So, um, so what we decided to do is to launch a podcast instead. So we can, you know, just keep our work going. So we launched a podcast series called 10 Minute Tip Time, which we've been producing once, once per week. All right. Would you say there are any additional challenges for you in terms of how you identify with as a person, individual, and related to COVID-19? Honestly, at, at the very beginning of COVID-19, like after the first week, I, um, how should I put it? I, not quite a deep depression, but a deep sense of loss and that fear of not knowing what would happen. Also seeing how quickly, you know, the deaths were happening, the numbers were rising, especially in, in the U.S. And, you know, having friends and family in, in the U.S. Or, or the U.K., it was, um, it was really concerning for me. So, so for me, that brought on a lot of fear and, 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 and hurt, you know, for the people who were dying. And in terms of, you know, trying to understand how COVID's affected the broader community, how has it affected particular groups, especially the black or the marginalized groups? Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's really funny because um, when you look at um, well, typically, for example, Canada did not collect race-based data. The U.S. typically collect that that sort of data. So, so for example, in the U.S. We knew that the black community, especially in places like Brooklyn or Louisiana or um, even Atlanta, they were being hit the hardest as far as COVID-19 was concerned. For a very long time, we did not have data here in Canada. Actually, it's only within the past week or so, I believe, that we were able to get some type of data which showed, for example, that the poorer or lower class, you know, for want of a better word, communities experience COVID at a higher rate. So, for example, it showed that the Jane Finch Corridor, people there experience COVID much at a much higher rate than those in downtown Toronto. Maybe we could say that as a individuals from lower incomes, per se, on an average basis. Yes. Okay. All communities have a variation of uh, uh, different ranges of income within. There are particular communities that have a higher preponderance or higher amount of certain income levels. And Mm -hmm. within those communities, you're saying, or I'm hearing that uh, uh, individuals comprised of the, the groups were more affected, especially within the black community. Exactly, exactly. And why Why would that be? Why are black people more affected by the consequences or the impacts of COVID-19? Well, I think one of the things, let's say, is that... Um, Let's take, for example, again, the lower income groups. You might have more people clustered together under one roof, right? So you may have um, like a higher concentration of, of immigrant families. So there might be, 
10 people. Multi-generational within a household, for example. Exactly, right? There is nowhere to isolate if one of the members or several of the members were to to get COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So you find that there might be a higher spread. Whereas in places like downtown Toronto, you would find that there are a lot of higher income earners who are renting condos. There might be one person, two people per condo. So it's easier to isolate. Or in areas where there are houses where people can, you know, someone with COVID can go to the basement and isolate themselves. So it makes it easier to contain the spread. That is not the same for people, you know, large family units. As COVID-19 has been determined as a pandemic rather than, quote, an epidemic, so it's more broader, global, spreading that way, how, how do you see the connection of the, the word pandemic and racism? So, you know, like um, a pandemic is something that, that spreads, that it's a disease that spread at a high rate, okay? Racism is the same. It is a disease that has been spreading throughout society. Racism has been a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I see that as the relationship between the two. And more specifically, too, as we've just started to open up, that COVID-19 has affected particular groups more Mm -hmm. than other groups Mm -hmm. because of possibly social, economic, or historical lack of service delivery, resources, or under the label of racism, Mm -hmm. where policy decisions that are made by authorities are not providing for the best resources to provide for the the individuals from all groups to be provided an equitable or equal amount of resources compared to another group. Exactly, exactly. So again, you know, like during the height of... um, of COVID-19, and again, I want to use the U.S. as an example, Um, Brooklyn in particular. There were a number of people going to the hospital. Very few of them were coming out, right? Most of these people were from the lower income groups, who a lot of them, again, immigrants, don't have the necessary documentation and as such, we're not privy to the same services as those who were. Well, even historically, even prior to COVID-19, there's been a profound impact on the black community mm-hmm. in not being provided the same resources, the same particular cultural appropriate type of services that would help the members of the group feel that they ha- are getting as much of uh, the opportunity as the next group. Well, e- exactly. You know, that that is so. I mean, even in terms of, um, like, when you look at a jobs, for example, there is a history of black people being paid less for the same jobs or similar jobs 
that their white counterparts mm-hmm. will be doing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there, there have been cases where, you know, someone would be called in for an interview. I, I have heard of people going, you know, speaking on the phone, almost assured that they will get a job and then they show up and it, it's noticed that this is a black person and, and they can see the difference. I have experienced it. Yeah. You, you, for example, if uh, a white person walked in, they'd be treated a certain way. And yes. a black person walks into the same place with the same people who are there to deliver the service, they would get a different kind of reaction or response or treatment. Unfortunately, that that is the case. You know, it, it is unfortunate. And we would like to, to think that... Uh, you know, that is not so, that racism does not exist in this way, except it does. You know, to state the obvious, which is my obvious, is of course it does, and it does, and it has for a continuum of time. And what's happening out in the broader world is not a new uh, phenomenon. It's an underlying, ever-present tension of energy that, for whatever reason, has come out to play, especially in the States, as it is Mm -hmm. now. And COVID-19 has been somewhat of a contributing factor, though that wasn't the uh, stimulus for the particular energy, though my intention with this conversation is to try to unpack it more, that there's a a deeper connection for the black community and marginalized Mm -hmm. groups that delivery of service, acknowledgement of society as being equal or provided the same opportunities as others is not there. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, we all, you know, know that to to be the case. You know, I was, um, I was recently watching this, um, this video by, by this, um, it was, a white individual who is uh, an expert, let's say, on on racism, mm-hmm. and she posed a question to this to this group of uh, predominantly white audience, right? Yeah. And what she asked of them is, how many of you would like to be treated in the same manner that you see? black folks being treated, stand up. Right. And not one person stood up. So she repeated herself. She said, I don't think you understood my question. Mm -hmm. I'm asking how many of you would be okay being treated the way black people are treated? Stand up. Cricket. Right? right? So she then said, so you understand that what is happening is wrong. And, and that, that is it. People know that what is happening out there yeah. is wrong. Right? And now it is for us to change this. So, you know, I do want to get into that conversation, too, about talk is cheap. Words, mm-hmm. words make a difference. Words matter because people understand the message or at least process their meaning of the message, their mm-hmm. way, depending on the words used and the words not used. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I said earlier, actions can sp- do speak louder than words. So before we get into the action part, because that's really, for me, the crux of this. Right. Talk is cheap. Yep. We got all these idioms that we can say. Mm-hmm. Walk the talk. Uh, you need to deliver. Don't just speak of something. So how how do you think or feel people are responding, even within the black community, mm-hmm. to the whole conversation of racism right now? Within the black community, people are tired. What I'm hearing is people are tired, they are frustrated, and they want to see change, right? Which is why we are seeing more and more people getting out there and saying something. We're seeing more things on social media, in the news. But we also have allies, you know? What do you mean by allies? I mean that, you know, and and whether or not, and I, I hope that this is genuine, but you're seeing a bit more of an awareness. Let us take, for example, the recent George Floyd um, incident uh-huh. in, in the U.S. Uh-huh. And you find that not only are black people out there protesting, right? You have white folks, you have the, the Latin community, you, you have all types of people, right? Whether or not some of them are doing it for the right reasons are can be questioned, but the fact is there is an awareness. People are realizing the injustices that are being done of the situation, and I genuinely believe that people want to see change. Though the incident of and the proportion and the number of black individuals who've been treated the way and the outcome ends up being the same way as Mr. Mm-hmm. Floyd, mm-hmm. it's happened numerous times. Yes. So in the past, why hasn't something else of other uh, circumstances, incidents, events, garnered the same kind of energy? So that is a very interesting question, and it's actually one that I have pondered about. I think that why the Floyd case has garnered the type of energy can be, there, there are a couple of reasons, mm-hmm. and, and that is just my, my belief. One, it was brutal, it was gruesome, and we have seen such brutal and gruesome things happen before. But because of COVID-19 and this heightened awareness, you know, mm-hmm. people being more active and interactive as far as social media and the media are concerned, you find that this might have been shared more widely. People now had the time to listen, they had the time to share it, they had the time to speak about it, and people are frustrated. I have looked at that video many times, and I don't know why I have looked at it many times, that is, because each time I feel such pain, such hurt, such anger, such frustration. For who? For who? Yourself or others? uh, Towards my own community, towards the black community, 
right? Yeah. That another person, this white police officer, yeah. would think that it was okay to have his knee on this man's neck. And you know the most frustrating part, Greg? What? Is that there were other police officers who had their feet on that man's back pinning him down, as well as one who was walking up and down. Now, we're all adults. You would tell me there is not one of these police officers who, some, who, who didn't see something wrong with that whole picture. You mean deeper down, ideally, or on the surface? They, because it was happening, they were just compliant with what they saw, and by compliant... They acted like the the bullying thing. We've got the bully, the bullied, and the bystanders. And the bystanders can, from my point of view, be even as more responsible for inaction as much. We had the bystander yeah, in the police officer who right. was walking up and down and keeping the crowd at bay. Mm-hmm. We had the others who were directly involved in keeping that man pinned to the ground. And then we had the the other, the main perpetrator of the crime who had his foot on that man's neck. I believe they are all guilty. You know, a lot of times people go along with the crowd, you know, like you just spoke about the bully and the bullying, etc. Right. Right. And a lot of times bullies are in groups, but there is one main bully but the others are along for the ride, you know? And it only takes one person to stand up and say that that is wrong. Well, you see, though, the bully feels a sense of everything's okay if no one else is saying something's not okay. Exactly. So they find that their behavior is acceptable. They're not challenged or questioned or pushed out from that kind of mindset and treatment of behavior so you know the officer in this case who was specifically with knee on neck was feeling like hmm this is acceptable i have the power here too i mean it's a it's a layered kind of situation because as an authority person the perceived power within society police that uh, there's that right to do whatever one senses they can do and get away with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the officer, he, he actually felt empowered by the whole thing. You know, he had this man's life in his hand or under his knee, as the case might be, right? And he was looking directly at the camera, challenging this person while this man's life was being snuffed out. And the most frustrating thing, as I said before, mm-hmm. was that no one, none of his peers, thought that they should stand up and say that this is wrong enough. You know? Mm-hmm. As a community, that is where we come in. The, the, the looting, the, the, the burning, the, the, all of that, yes, that is frustration, but we need to do things 
differently. It needs to be strategic. There needs to be a voice. So every time something like this happens, we can't run out there and protest and, you know, then that goes away until the next time. There, there has, more has to be done. So it's more geared towards taking it to the next step, doing, do, doing something. Absolutely. In terms of, you know, I, I would believe as a, as a everyday human being that watching the video, for example, Mm-hmm. especially on a repeated, repetitive basis, it provides for trauma. It brings something deeper in terms of an internal affect on mm-hmm. us. W- what have you experienced with regard to any of that? You know, for me, it it invokes so many things. You know, there, there, there's so many different reactions you know uh, as i indicated before the frustration the anger the hurt the the pain you know the, the this this is what it it invokes for me it's just really difficult to see but again as an individual i want to be able to do my part and part of that is in having this conversation so what do you see as being the point of having this conversation, especially with regard to connecting racism with the word pandemic and, or pandemic with racism? The point of having this conversation is to, to bring awareness and to, to open up and to continue the conversation. You know, again, COVID-19 did not bring on racism. It heightened awareness of the racism that is that is happening. It's really important that we have and continue this conversation way beyond COVID-19 or way beyond George Floyd or way beyond even the, um, the situation that, that, that happened just, just here in Toronto with, with um, the young lady, Regis. Right. In terms of, you talked about awareness and getting informed. Mm-hmm. Who really needs to be educated in, in learning about racism and its impact? I would say everyone needs to learn about racism. That's the only way we can find a solution to this age-old problem. People need to exercise discipline and tolerance for each other. There need to be more sensitivity about the experience of other races. So everyone needs to learn about racism and we can all benefit from that education. As a black person, we live it. We live it daily, you know? So how, how are you going to help others to appreciate what you're talking about? Because it's one thing to say it. It's mm-hmm. trying to get people to somehow appreciate mm-hmm. the essence of what you're talking about so that they do get prompted or provoked to say yeah it's not just words it's a call to action it starts with accountability so whether it's a racist crime or lack of race-based data we need greater accountability so we need to become advocates we need to become to you know there has to be a, a change right so we need to use our voice Everyone can do something to make a difference, no matter how small it is. You know, 
as a society, we need to stop judging people based on solely on their skin color or their accent or their place of origin. But we all have a part to play in this. I appreciate totally what you're saying. At the same time, I know when we share about ideas and ideals that not everybody connects with the the concept or the idea Mm -hmm. that, hey, all right, yeah, well, that's about those people. I'm not like that. That's their problem. Mm -hmm. It's not, quote, my problem. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I don't need to do anything about it, per se. Right. Because it's not directly affecting me. Or there's blame thrown, judgments made. It's their fault for doing that or not Mm -hmm. doing that. How do we get it to transition from words, messaging, that actually stimulates people in some way? And I know you may not have the answer. Mm -hmm. At least we're having a conversation. That someone will say, and, and one person at a time, that collectively we can try to do things to actually affect change. Right. So this is a necessary conversation that we're having right now. Why why do you feel that? So right now there is a huge push to talk about racism because it is showing up more boldly. Over the past few years, people have been speaking up, but for some reason right now, it's even more crucial. You know, as a society, as I indicated before, we each have a part to play. So some of the things that that, that people need to do, you know, is to pay more attention, listen to the news, you know, read about what's happening, get involved, speak out against racism. Like it's not just okay to be a passive bystander, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So we need to have ongoing conversations with the people that are affected. So, for example, I know that many non-black individuals, you know, and we're not just looking at white individuals or whatever, so so we would just say Mm non-black, might be afraid or ashamed or simply don't know how to have a conversation about racism with their, their black friends or even their own families. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult conversation to have, but it's it needs to be had. Well, anyway. I, I would say in general, people are afraid to say black or white or any particular identity specifically. Mm-hmm. So they might just say you people or those people, you know, going to the core of it to express that. What can you help support in terms of? supporting individuals and how they can open up that conversation at least you know i want to say first of all that um you know the whole you people thing is offensive in itself (laughs) you know yeah absolutely that um that in itself invokes racism a lot of people use the you people thing to Mm -hmm. refer to, to to black people and uh, it's not okay. So again, it's about understanding, right? And um, so, for example, as a white person or other race, ask your black friends about their experiences. Try to understand. Try to empathize. You know, find out what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what the, what we have been going through as a people. 
and how you can contribute to the upliftment mm-hmm. of 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 black indigenous or other visible minority groups i i'm, I'm going to say to you it's always challenged me when i hear the word minority mm-hmm. that just reinforces that there's a majority even though technically there might be if we look at numbers or we look at traditional authority using the word minority it gives the sense that you need to stay there you are there and that's where you belong and again it's interesting that you say that because um it does it does invoke this this classism it reinforces you know? it reinforces this whole notion yes yes so um so again we also use the term marginalized yeah and i'm not sure whether that is actually a better word so i think we need to come up with a better term mm-hmm. to refer to black indigenous you know or any other group that was previously considered minority because i'm sure if you look at the the numbers the, the stats will show would show that we are no longer in the minority you know right they, has to be a different word a different term a different phrase yeah and i i think part of this change that we're talking about is that we got to challenge some of these terminologies these use of words that have reinforced and you know not challenged for uh provoking for that change that's mm-hmm. needed we have a short time left what would you want what do you want to say is a, a final message for tonight I see that the time is now for us to really, you know, we have already started the conversation. We need to continue the conversation. We need change and we need it now. The whole thing as we indicated of visible minority or people thinking that they are less than or higher than, mm-hmm. we need a greater push towards equality. Right? Mhm. And that is not just talking, we need action. So yeah. there needs to be a proper strategy yeah. as to how we go about realizing this equality in in society. Yeah, we got to transition it from talk is cheap into actions exactly. and doing it. So thanks exactly. very much, Cheryl, for contributing to the conversation. I appreciate it. Okay, have mm-hmm. a safe and uh, healthy transition out to... Uh, social in- engagement. Well, thank you so much for having me, Greg. It has been a wonderful conversation. All right. Have a good night.